With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And and once again, we do have some award season news to talk about, but it's the kind of award season news that's really fascinating because it doesn't specifically have to do with which movies are ahead, so to speak, or which movies have screened and whether or not we think they have a shot at this or that category. It just has to do with a bunch of new people who get to vote for the Oscars this year because the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has announced a record 774 new members. Now, last year, when we talked about this happening, the big news was, here's the Academy, basically, with its big response to Oscars So White by introducing more people. There were some younger people, a lot of minorities that were included. You see a little bit of that this year, but... I don't a know lot. about eh, a lot amount. of that, but but I do feel like it doesn't it doesn't register as quite the as radical a, a maneuver as it was la- last time. The one the, I just got a kick out of the idea that you would have Amir Khan, Irfan Khan, Salman Khan, right, right. talk about Sean and his daughter in law. That's just almost too obvious, you know. You know like, the, the Bollywood stars exactly. are there, you know, and and you know some fun things like why isn't you know Monica Bellucci already in the Academy or Maggie Chung or Gal Gadot or Charlotte Gainsbourg. You know, and then you're adding people like Naomi Harris and Rinko Kikuchi, but you'd think Rinko Kikuchi could have been invited a long time ago. Yeah, also. I mean, well, what it comes down to is this is ultimately a messy kind of haphazard process, right? I mean, one of the things that a lot of people may not realize is it's not like the Academy is just like, we want these people. In most cases, somebody's got to be sponsored. And so. Well, you, it you changed. Basically, the, the process changed. Before, if you wanted to get in, you, you were basically applying to your branch. There's 17 branches, and if you're a costume designer, they decide whether they're going to invite you or not. And then in the end, um, what they did after 2016, after Oscar So White, is that they literally, everybody met, and there were membership initiatives, and they, they actually talked about who should we invite, who should we seek out, who should we sponsor, who should we check out, who's never, you know, I was surprised too. I mean, someone like Viggo Mortensen has never been, you He was know. just nominated last year. I mean, the, the suggestion that's been made in the past, I believe it was by Ira Deutschman, that if you are nominated for an Oscar, a lot of the people who. A lot I mean, of people have been nominated, and, and you can see on the chart they they put a little blue. But you can go, you can go to the website. It's and a just cool look website. It. It's yeah, kind of cool. It's fun to play and, with, and they give you the stats and everything else. But they definitely leaned into not only uh, people of color and younger people like you know Elle Fanning, um, but also uh, or Rebel Wilson. Um, they they definitely went TV. I mean, I mean, what you could argue that it, you know Keegan Michael Key, although he's made movies, 
is and and Jordan Peele has made movies, and they're both invited this year. Get Out is a huge hit, so that's a movie. But yeah, the, a I, lot of them are really cool because of what they've done. Oh, I mean, probably one of John the John Hamm. Go- yeah, of course, Rami they, Malek. I, I would go one step further. Riz Ahmed. You not, know, not even those guys. I would say that that Donald Glover, who only especially has his film credits listed, you know, he is not the guy from The Martian. <laughs> No, <laughs> I mean, which is one of the major credits that's listed next to his name. He is the auteur behind Atlanta, one of the most inventive shows on TV right now. In many ways, you could say that first season is his feature-length debut. I mean, you really see who he is as an artist from that, not from what he's been doing as an actor in a couple studio movies, but the Academy is not acknowledging them as such, so it's kind of this hilariously... It's a sign of the world that we live in. I mean, you know, Sherry Redstone is an executive who got in, yeah, Raj... Um, from the mama, Rohendra Roy, uh, you know, he's, he got in, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, publicity folks like Le- Leah Yardam and, and, uh, Jeff Sanderson and Bumble Ward who, who well, got in. Wellington Love, another one. Right. And yeah. on the doc side, A.J. Schnack. Oh, that and, was a good one. That yeah. was a good one. Cause those are, those are, those are people who really, you know, they have fresh ideas and they want to, I mean, they, they're going to want to participate on some level in the, in the conversations that the Academy can have about how to make itself relevant, how to, how to do things. And presumably there will be opportunities for them to do that. But I find the process kind of hilarious because there is a disconnect between the members and the way in which these members are brought in. I mean, one, one of the things that I, I have done when these announcements come out is I start reaching out to people I know whose names I see and say, congratulations. And a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, a few of them hadn't even heard yet. And in one case, I wrote to 95-year-old Jonas Mikis, the, the legendary avant-garde filmmaker. He was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know well, if he cares. The, these but, are some of the people who obviously did not reach out to say, we want to be members. Right. You know, some people give up. Some people just abandon ship, you know. But I, I love it that they they invited Leslie Jones, Kristen Stewart, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Coleman Domingo, Mike Mills, well, you know, Lynn Manuel from, Miranda. But to go from Lynn Manuel Joss Whedon. To, what? Go, to go from from somebody like Kristen Stewart to, you know, Lynn Manuel, I mean these are they're very different kinds of worlds. It feels like they're just more responding to what the zeitgeist is for culture at large. You know, Lin-Manuel. That's fine with me. You know, he's catapulted to there more because of Hamilton. But I mean, but he's, it, but, but he's, also, he's also doing Disney musicals. Sure. He's going to be in he Mary Poppins. I mean, yeah. he's totally, you know, Moana. You know, he's, he's totally in the world. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and I guess bottom line with all of this stuff is, when they even even though it's a record number, it's it's hard to envision it completely changing the identity of the Academy or or for that matter the kinds of films that might get nominated. I mean, you well, tell me if I'm wrong. Starting right? it's starting to move the needle, um, so that you have uh, people of color pr- comprise thirty percent of the new class, so that they would now represent thirteen percent of Academy members, which is better than it used to be. Unfortunately, it's not good enough, and it's going to take a while to get there. But um, then thirty nine percent of the people invited were women, and seven branches invited more women than men, but that's going to move the total membership of women up to 28%. Again, not acceptable, but better than it was. So, you know, they're just slowly, slowly uh, 
getting there. They're overemphasizing what they need to change in this hugely white male universe. Well, the other thing, 59 was, countries they yeah. invite, 40% international. If yeah. you go through and you look on the thing, most of the names, many of the names are just totally from overseas. Well, and some of them, it, you really are head scratchers. I mean, Lav Diaz, the great Filipino director who makes six to eight hour movies that almost never get released in the U.S., and if they do, very few people go see them. To have somebody like that in there, I mean, I don't know if he even cares. I remember when A Pitch Upon Weir Sathako was added last year, right? You I mean, love showing off that you can pronounce his name. No, but it's also a fact, and it's, it's like, <laughs> this was not somebody who's ever been nominated. He's got some fans among all kinds of different people no, in the country. No, he's a festival but, author. Yeah, basically. but I mean, bringing those people, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much it, it just, makes a I difference. Think the, but... It almost more the international skew, you know, if you look at even the docs and, and, and a lot of the crafts people um, and a lot of the directors, you're, you're seeing a real skew over toward a, an international world. So I think that's going to that's gonna have an impact over time, too. Well, and, and, and so on some level, I mean, international filmmakers are increasingly relevant to Hollywood. I mean, you look at the way in which, say, a couple of Norwegian guys who were nominated for Best Foreign Language Film then went and directed... Fantiki! Yeah. yeah. And then they directed the Pirates movie. I mean, it's, you know, the oh, Academy should be... lots of directors, yeah, and lots of directors, especially, and craftspeople. I mean, look at... Look at Santo Alla or, or, you know, uh, Lebeski or, you know, so many of the great craftspeople are, are not from America, you know? And, and it does, it makes you wonder if, if, if the academy becomes increasingly international, how does that affect, say, the foreign language race? You know, is there going to be well, more of an a weird, the foreign language race is such an anomaly because it's got these weird sets of, of committees that, that vote for things. I would say what, what, what's interesting about this, too, is the idea that they that part of what they're also trying to do is uh, for on the ABC side, on the commercial side, is to make, you know, one of the reasons they raised, you know, the number of categories so that it could be between five and ten. You know, the idea was to have more mainstream movies be voted for. Um, for the for so that the show would have more people watching <laughs> all of these i don't know that this is going to result in that actually. i mean that was a conversation from a, a while a couple of years back and and then it was sort of steamrolled by oscars so white so it's a question now it's i feel like it's a question of what it what is trying to make priority. it younger that's yeah. the younger the younger and the diversification definitely they hope sends it mainstream but the well, international does not is no. my view. I mean that that could be that could be true. The but the diversity element is, if, that also drives a different kind of interest in different kinds of movies too. I mean yeah. not to say that Moonlight won because of that, but there is an interest in maybe championing those movies even more than the blockbuster movies that could be that could really work in the academy's favor with time. I mean I feel I feel like on some level there is more of an excitement around a Moonlight and a La La Land than there is around the idea of creating a place for big movies. I mean, if Wonder Woman gets nominated, it's not because necessarily that they created more slots for it. It's because Wonder Woman is doing really well and everybody really likes it. Am I wrong about that? I mean, it's not It's not because of the They can slots. be a little snobby about movies like that, superhero movies. I think Patty Jenkins they lean into because she's a woman director and they want to do that, you know? Exactly. So that leads us to uh, for perhaps a question of a movie like *The Beguiled*, where you know because um, 
there have been so few women recognized for their directing, uh, either at Cannes or 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 at, at at the Oscars. You would have, you know, a Catherine Bigelow movie coming this year. You have Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. You have Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. Are they going to lean into these women directors more than they would have otherwise? Well, it's like the pendulum swings from people of color to women directors, but can't somehow satisfy both of those things at once. I mean, how do you get to the point where most of the films are nominated are either w- w- driven by women or minorities or, or somehow a fusion? It's going to take a while because whatever the academy... There was a bit interesting thing. Scott Feinberg over at uh, THR was sort of saying, how can the academy can't fix, you know, by inviting all these people, they're not going to single-handedly fix the problem with the industry. And I think he's so misguided in his argument because um, while I think he means well and he's saying that the real problems are in the industry, yes, of course the real problems are in the industry, but someone has to lead the way and someone has to show everybody what they should be doing um, and someone should be fighting against this kind of all-white universe, all-male white universe. And and obviously the Academy, you know, not every single person everybody approves of that they're inviting right now, um, but it, they're, they're totally heading in the right direction. I mean, that's absurd that they would be criticized for this. Yeah, I, it is a little confounding to me. I mean, this, the thing is, if if the bulk of the people who we were seeing on this list didn't belong, you know, if like they invited Jay-Z or something like that, I mean, be sort of like, well... Sometimes they invite people like Beyonce from the music branch totally sure. legitimately. Yeah, I mean, or if they... Prince. If they're Prince working, was invited. Yeah. He, the, he should be. If totally. the film... Well, the film credits are there. There is a music branch. Yeah, I mean, if, the, if they've worked in... In, on movie scores or they've they've done soundtracks or something to that effect, it, it does make sense. But what I'm saying is that if you could point to a large volume of people who are being invited for diversity purposes being sort of strange choices, then you'd have a problem. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. And, you know, it's not like the Academy is an anomaly in this. You look at the movies we're talking about and clearly... The industry itself is trying to make a difference. I mean, the big sick, right? Open did did well. This is something that Judd Apatow played a key role in kind of making sure it was, over the course of several years, getting made, getting out there. You know, it's not like an He had indie. a lot to do with making it as good as it was, as he did with Trainwreck and, and Amy Schumer. But the real heart of the big sick is is this extraordinary culture clash, true romance, which you, you interviewed Kamal Nanciani. Yeah, um, I did, and, and I think it, it's his movie. But the point I'm making about this is just that you know, even though it's this, it's an indie, it's a Sundance movie that was acquired out of the festival uh, circuit. It, it was a Hollywood person who was like critical in. Yeah, getting but they it raised there. money overseas for it. They didn't raise money inside Hollywood. They, they in other words, Apatow and and his people, um, you know, Barry Mandel and and Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, his wife and co-writer. They they developed it. For a long time, and when uh, they brought in Showalter, then they got the script together to to even further. They refined and refined and refined. That's one of the things I want people to realize is that something like The Big Sick isn't that good unless a lot of people really worked hard on it to make it that way. Yeah, it doesn't and just then happen. they took it out and sold it, and then they took it to Sundance, and then then they they sold it to Amazon. And the other thing is, so I, yeah, I, I spoke to Kamel, and, and and what we talked about was. This is a guy who has been going on auditions for 15-odd years and 
auditioned for big studio roles of all kinds of different things and, and did not become some sort of comedic leading man as a result, basically wrote his own part because of that. And he went on all these ridiculous auditions for stereotypical characters, cab drivers, 7-Eleven workers, people like that. People told him to play up the accent. He came up with a rule not to play up the accent. And now he's known as the guy from Silicon Valley, and he's not even the main character on that show. So if you think about it that way, I mean, it's like Big Sick is, is, is such a... It really epitomizes what it takes to get diverse storytelling, even, for, even if it's a familiar formula, into the zeitgeist in front of moviegoers. I mean, it's, it, like you said, it was not an easy task. And I don't yet, think of it as a familiar formula. I mean, you're saying well, it's, it's a, a, it's, it's a, or, it's a yeah. romantic comedy, yeah. but it's a very, very, it's much, you know what it reminds me of more is something like Bend It Like Beckham, where, where the guy who plays his father was in that, by the way, that, that Indian actor. Um, he, the, the idea of a culture clash, family clash, but what I, the other thing that's good about it is that it is even Stephen between the genders. It's very even-handed, giving her family and her dialogue and her story, partly because it's co-written by Emily Gordon and it's her story. So it isn't just the male point of view or the female point of view. They all have their time. And when they realized that um, Kumail's family wasn't represented as much as Emily's family, they meant they forced him to put more of that in, even though it was actually sort of uncomfortable for him. Yeah, I mean that kind of detail is so essential because it could somebody could so easily get the wrong impression about this movie and say, oh, it's got the white perspective just because it's got to sell it to white audiences or something. And it's like, uh, no, this was written by a, per, a, a brown person and a white person, and it's based on their specific experiences. And, you know, like, it just so happens that because of their own courtship, this story appeals to a wider set of audiences. And it also makes you wonder, how many stories are there out there like this in different kinds of ways? I mean, not the specific plot of this movie, but about those sort of culture clashes that aren't really being written because it is complicated and difficult to figure out how to, how to write them and how to kind of force people to go to the uncomfortable places that they don't automatically want to go to when they're telling their stories. But at the same time, someone like Apatow has, has you know, he sort of forced Showalter to do more improvisation on the set than he would have ordinarily done. And he, he insisted on a number of previews so that they could really nail down the jokes and get the laughs in the right places. So the movie is simultaneously, when you see this movie, The Big Six, it is so tight, you know? You can feel it. You can feel that those laughs are coming at just the right moment. And, and, the, and so are the cries, you know? Well, That's, it's, it's, it makes me happy to see a movie that's this well done it's still a little too long but i know what you mean <laughs> two hours from then, it, I don't know. <laughs> you know and then we have another really good movie coming up which is which is baby driver from edgar yep, wright and yep. you and i were just debating whether we thought that movie would actually do well or not well it's the um, kind of movie that you that we want to do well so badly that it clouds our judgment on some level well I mean, we want sony to have another hit although they're going to have one with uh with the uh, Spider-Man movie, I don't thanks really care. I don't care about Sony as much as I do about, it. not just Edgar Wright even. I care about the fact that Edgar Wright made a really cool action movie that's completely original idea with this great musicality to it. You know, the, the very concept of a getaway driver who has to listen to songs in order to perform these getaway drives and 
the way the action was staged to the music. I mean, that's just such a brilliant concept, and it plays out in the movie to such an enjoyable effect. And having dealt with, you know, the last Transformers movie, I mean, it's not like I'm blind to the crappiness of Hollywood product. It's still happening. To see this kind of innovation, if nobody goes, it sends such a bad message about it's gonna do okay they're expecting about 20 million dollars over the five days which is more than respectable it opened uh late tuesday night because it opened today wednesday so this is a fourth of july sort of holiday long long play they're they're hoping that when you get to the yeah exactly when you get by the time the word of mouth builds up it'll it'll get to um Ooh, we've got some Board of Governors election results. This is exciting. Ooh, breaking uh, news on the later. podcast. <laughs> It'll be later. Okay, right. not to worry. Um, anyway, the the uh, the but Ansel Elgort breaks out as a as a young movie star, and and uh, I I just got a and John Hamm was delicious in it. I mean, he was really really good. Delicious. And the way that it was sort of syncopated with the with the the music and the action and and the sound, it was a beautifully or orchestrated movie i i loved seeing it south by southwest for the premiere because it played through the roof but the thing is i mean those screenings uh, can be i, I don't want to say they're misleading necessarily but it but it's it's sort of like everybody who's there is like so excited that they're there and that drives the enthusiasm it's great for word of mouth but i want to see this movie and i may go see this movie you know, like that the with, court with street people theater. in a theater. Yeah, yeah, I just want to see like, what are, what are the people who just sort of were like, yeah, I want to go see that. I'm going to leave my house and go see that thing this weekend. How do they respond to the, this kind of experience? Because it's such a hard sell now. I mean, so many options at home in such a distracting universe, and the very idea of of paying for a ticket to go see a movie is, is just it's a harder concept. Baby it suddenly feels so. like there's a lot, though, right now. I there's mean, so the, many the Beguiled options. opened well, and people yeah. should see that. The, the The Big Sick is still in theaters, so 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 it's but, the Baby Driver. But as a point of contrast, and then in a week we've got Spider Man, which is playing very well. But as a point, and I haven't seen it yet, so I'll have to come back to you on that one. But but um, as a point of contrast, the thing that became available this week on Netflix is Okja. Right. Which is great. We saw that in yeah. Cannes. So as a point of contrast, I mean, we don't know how that thing is performing, but if somebody's thinking, man, I want to see a fast, fun action movie, and they could either go see the new Edgar Wright car chase movie or the kind of wacky sci-fi action movie on Netflix, which one are they going to go with? Because one of them they can just press play, and the other one requires a few more People steps. People still want to go out. And if there's enough word of mouth and there's enough buzz and enough social media telling them that this is going to be – this is the thing about Baby Driver. It's so much fun, and any cinephile has to go see that one. I mean, it's it's just about movies. It's about how how you can really, really have fun with editing and music and everything yeah, else. Yeah, it's, it's the filmmaking. It's a filmmaking it, thing. But they should yeah. also watch Okja. I mean, do both. You know, they're, they're both I'm not worried about Netflix. I mean, the interesting thing about Okja, which I think Netflix demonstrates, and they're going to do an Oscar campaign for it also, which is sort of interesting well, too, we'll is that they can that take is. a Korean auteur like Bong Joon-ho and take him a step beyond what Snowpiercer was, you know, make it an English language movie, make it a, 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 an oddly 
global movie. It, it, that was the conception of it, was that it was not American and it wasn't Korean. It was something global. And, and that is what it is. It has this strange, antic Korean comedy feel and action feel at the same, you know, with, with Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Tilda Swinton sort of overacting to the max the way you would in a Korean comedy. And then it has this lovely girl and her pig or her mutant pig, Ocha, whatever pig. he is, super Ocha pig. Is his name. Yeah, yep. no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that it's a, it's a great fusion of Eastern and Western impulses and Plan B seems to have done a good job of sort of ushering it along in that respect. It's a yeah. little bit more cohesive than Snowpiercer, which was almost like a dry run for this. I mean, it was a big movie that did well. It also, but it but it could have done better. It could have done better it was, here. It, it, it was did an very odd well. theatrical no, release. I, There's an argument I, I know for this that, being but, on Netflix. I know that, but what I'm saying is that it it actually it did well in Korea, and this is a movie that is getting a much bigger global profile and is probably doing really well in a totally different kind of way that we we are not even privy we to. We can't measure. So I, I what I'm looking for it. what I'm looking forward to seeing is. You know, are people, because I, I can go to a movie theater and see if people are watching Baby Driver. I can't really measure. We did send a reporter to go see who was watching Okja in the theaters, but we can't really measure how people are experiencing Okja that way. The way to do it is to wait and see how long it takes for people at a party to say, hey, you write about movies for a living. Did you see this movie Okja from some Korean director? Like, are people going to stumble on this thing and end up having this really cool experience that they wouldn't otherwise go to because they think it's a subtitled movie or it seems too weird or, or something to that effect. A when lot of Netflix people think it, Okja is a monster. No, which okay, I think yeah, is no, sort of, of course. I mean, and part of Okja that is, kind is of, the sweetest, lovely, it's more like Totoro, No, this it's, movie. It's, it's, it's like E.T. because it's about this girl. Or very good, yes. Yeah. But, but I think that it, but what, what's interesting about that is that once you start watching, I mean, it starts in English, so you don't have the kind of, you know, bottom barrel kind of people who are like run screaming from subtitles don't they don't have that experience and then it becomes a subtitled movie for a little bit for a few minutes and then it goes back to and kind of goes back and forth so the question is for the people who are skittish about what we might call in a reductive way you know challenging cinematic experiences at what point does Okja get to get there for them where they'll just keep watching because it is a two-hour movie with a lot of weird stuff going on so um, among the, the piles of Netflix data that are out there, what I'm sort of curious about is how much are people watching this movie and, how, and, and how, how engaged are they? Are people turning it off after 15 or 20 minutes or five minutes? or, or you know? Hi, good question. Sort of, I would have to know. say that it would be an acquired taste for some folks. It would be confusing. This, what's great about Okja is also what it would make it less than totally mainstream because it's so, such an odd duck. Right, no, that 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 is true. So the uh, speaking of of odd movies coming out this week, there's also the Little Hours, which uh, premiered also at Sundance, and and this is a movie that uh, uh, we both saw and I think both enjoyed quite a bit. It's, it's uh, hilarious. It's hilarious. A, a it reminds me. Of it reminds me of a Mel Brooks movie. That's what it's like. It's like a satire more, uh, of, of these old Hollywood, you know, Deborah Carr nun movies. I mean, I know? was thinking more about Monty Python, although I could see That's it the good. other way too. I mean, basically, what it is in a nutshell is an adaptation of this 14th century text, The Decameron, and it's it's little vulgar stories about these nuns who live in rural Italy and, and 
the one guy who shows evil. up. I mean, it's supposed to be medieval. <laughs> yeah, but 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 they speak in a contemporary way. And totally. It's all so you've got Aubrey Plaza, you know, in her typical way, rolling yeah, her eyes exactly. and saying, "Fuck," you and, know. And Molly Shannon's in it as sort of the head nun, and she's really great. Fred Armisen shows up; he's like a bishop or something. And then the very concept of this movie is hilarious. If you watch the trailer, you will start laughing. It's very effective. It's I wouldn't say it's like it's perfect, but it's. It's a good time, and what I really enjoyed about uh, uh, kind of digging into this movie a little bit more is is that it, it is essentially a way of making this older text more relevant and exciting to people. It's sort of like this discovery, like, oh, this humor still works. And I know that for a fact because I had this very peculiar opportunity to participate in a marketing event for the movie at The Strand, this famous old used bookstore in uh, I know I remember it well yep still going strong hasn't changed much so what they did at the bookstore was uh Jeff Bain of the director and Aubrey Plaza who's also his girlfriend and and Dave Franco read selections of stories from the Decameron to a packed house <laughs> of about a hundred people now backstage I think there was this sense of wait so what are we doing exactly and like the best part was there, so, so Jeff had chosen these different stories for everyone to read. There's a hundred stories in the actual Decameron. He gave Aubrey a really long one. She had like ten pages she was supposed to read. So I got to to watch their sort of rushed, you know, dry run beforehand when they decided, okay, I'm gonna he's he's gonna cut out a, a page and he he drew a big X on the first page and she's like, wait, you're only cutting out one page? I still have nine <laughs> pages left. So we went out and we did it and it went for a while. And the great thing about it was that it was funny. People were laughing the whole time. And uh, this was you know, a pretty contemporary translation of the text. But it did give you, give you the sense that, you know, we tend to, I think, just as a, as a culture, assume that the older things are, the more, the less accessible no, they are. Shakespeare comedies yeah. are funny. Yeah, but Shakespeare is the exception. You can still read Beowulf. And by the way, when I studied Greek in college and we did these old theater pieces from ancient Greece that were comedies, they were hilarious. Right. They but totally when, when held you, up. No, totally, but then you, 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 get, you gain distance from them and you don't encounter these things all the time. I mean, they, they sort of, they become part of your memories of school in a way, and, and Jeff did encounter this when he was in school, but the cool thing about it is this is a very constructive application of it from you know a filmmaking standpoint. It's, I don't want to say constructive. I want to say hilarious. No, it is. I want to say. I, I want to say that these you know there's this one scene where the nuns are all sort of falling on Dave Franco <laughs> once you know, also, and he's like supposedly not able to speak you know or he's, hear anything. He's, he's supposedly yeah. a deaf mute. He's not, yeah. and he's a good looking guy, and they're like raping him in a funny way. I will say. Well, and he's it's enjoying ambiguous. it. Yeah. He's, he's getting he's getting into it. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's a movie that delivers. I mean, when I say constructive, I mean that there there is payoff when you watch this movie. It's not like you sit down for some kind of experiment that's trying something new with the adaptation process. I mean, you watch it; it's legit funny, and it's but also you look legit. Look at Fred Armisen as a, as like a bishop, and you start laughing. Well, yeah, that's what <laughs> I mean. Just looking at his that's face what I mean. It's, makes an, you it's, laugh. In, it's inherently funny, but it's also in part funny. Because of the text. Anyway, I don't expect us to be talking about this movie all year it's long. It's a shallow, uh, <laughs> it's delightful a, exercise. It, it yeah. is what it is, but you know, assuming that you go see Baby Driver, if you still want to see something else, it's, a, it's another. Behaving it's, badly. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a reliable trope. So next week, I plan to 
survive Fourth of July weekend and then go see Spider Man. So I'm caught up to you, and we can yeah, talk we'll do about it next week. One. Yep. And um, until then, enjoy whatever barbecue firework excursions you have planned. See you next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.